ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೋ ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾ ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಶಂಕರಾಚಾರ್ಯ ಕೇಶವಂಬಾದರಾಯಣ ಸೂತ್ರಭಾಷ್ಯಕೃತೌ ವಂದೇ ಭಗವಂತೌ ಪುನಃ ಪುನಃ ಈಶ್ವರೋ ಗುರುರಾತ್ಮೇದಿ ಮೂರ್ತಿಭೇದ ವಿಭಾಗಿನೆ ವ್ಯೋಮವ್ಯಾಪ್ತೇಹಾಯ ದಕ್ಷಿಣಾಮೂರ್ತ ನಮಃ ಮಾಮುಪೇತ್ಯ ಪುನರ್ಜನ್ಮ ಪುನರ್ಜನ್ಮ ದುಃಖಾಲಯಶಾಶ್ವತ ದುಃಖಾಲಯಶಾಶ್ವತ ನಾಪ್ನುವಂತಿ ಮಹಾತ್ಮನ ನಾಪ್ನುವಂತಿ ಮಹಾತ್ಮನ ಸಂಸಿ ಪುನರಾವರ್ತಿನೋರ್ಜುನ ಮಾಮುಪೇತ್ಯದುಕೌಂತೆಯ ಪುನರ್ಜನ್ಮನ ವಿದ್ಯೆ ಸಹಸ್ರಯುಗಪರ್ಯಂತ ಅಹರ್ಯದ್ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣೋ ವಿದು ರಾತ್ರಿ ಯುಗಸಹಸ್ರಾಂತೇಹೋರಾತ್ರವಿದೋ ಜನಾ ಅವ್ಯಕ್ತಸಂಕೆ ಪ್ರಭವತ್ಯಗಮೆ So Lord Krishna says, Maupetya punarjanma na apnuvanti mahatmana hai. Hey Arjuna, attaining me, these wise people do not anymore have to go through the cycle of birth and death. Understand that abrahma bhuvanat lokaha, all the realms, all the worlds, all the way up to brahma lokaha. Let us clarify the meaning of the word Brahma here. The word Brahma has several meanings. 
one of the meanings in which we commonly use Brahman means the limitless. But what Brahma has other meanings also. And other meaning is in the masculine gender, Brahma means the creator. So here, Brahma means the creator. Ah, Brahma, Brahma Loka means the world or the realm of the creator, which is considered the very highest realm that one can achieve as a result of one's effort. As a result of one's effort, one can achieve a realm all the way up to Brahma Loka, which is nearly infinite. And therefore, by performance of certain rituals and meditations, one can do that. I mean, it is far-fetched, but it can, it is attainable. Here, Arjuna, even if you attain that, Unaravartinaha, someday you will come back from there also because still it is not limitless. Mahamupetya punarajanma to kaunteya punarajanmana vidyateya. But hey, kaunteya, if you attain me, the limitless, your very self, for Brahma Loka, you must go someplace. You must do something. In this case, I am a very self, and knowing me as a very self, Punarjanmana Vidyade, there is no Punarjanma, there is no no more getting into the cycle of birth and death. There is no more helplessness, put it this way. There is no more helplessness. <coughs> How do we say that even the world of Brahma, the world of Creator, that also is limited? Because even he also has a lifespan. No doubt, Brahma, the creator, has a lifespan that is extremely long, mind-bogglingly long. But still, there is a lifespan. And so we gave you the calculation. How the lifespan of Brahma, the creator, is 100 years. Each year made of 360 days. Each day made up of 1000 Chaturyuga. Each Chaturyaga consisting of 4.32 million years, you know. And so, in short, you need not carry on the calculation, the idea is just mind-bogglingly long. But still, even that also will come to an end. Nachiketa says to Yamaraja, Api Sarvam Jeevitamadapameva. Hey Yamaraja, the longest life that you can offer me is still going to be limited. Because what is born has to come to an end. What is created has to come to an end someday. And therefore, you come back and again you will start. But unless, until you get the limitless, you cannot be content. (coughs) Therefore, uh, thus Lord Krishna shows how everything else is impermanent. However long in duration it may be in time, it is still impermanent. Then Lord Krishna continues the thought in the verses 18 and 19 t- telling us about this, ourselves, about the creation. So how this manifest creation has come from the unmanifest. This has been said earlier that we do not accept creation in a real sense. Creation in the sense of something which is non-existent coming into existence is not something, we don't accept that. What we accept as creation is nothing but what is unmanifest or what is in the causal state becoming manifest, coming to the state of effect. <coughs> the cause and effect. Here the way this whole universe is conceived is that it's a cyclic creation. And going to the states of the cause, effect, cause, effect. Unmanifest to manifest, again to unmanifest, again to manifest. Like from the waking 
to the to the sleep from the sleep to the waking so the sleep state is the unmanifest waking is the manifest this is how cycling the creation is conceived <coughs> all this is by thought itself we can see as we have been saying that there is the question was swamiji when did it first begin or so there is no such thing as first some people accuse the vedantins says when you people cannot answer a question you say that it is beginningless you know <clears throat> so do you answer it all right you try to answer that question as to when a given given anything began and so that is we do not accept beginning of anything <clears throat> we'll talk about it in the 19th verse this now what gets created in this cycle or when the day of brahma comes in the whole universe that arises is it the same universe and same set of living beings same set of creatures as existed in the previous day like the person who wakes up in the morning is the same person who went to sleep last night or some different person similarly also brahma the creator goes to sleep and if the whole universe goes to sleep and when he wakes up then all the jivas again wake up and they all become active that whole set of jivas or creatures or living beings is the same set or a different set in the 19th verse we are told sa eva ayam bhutagraha that very same set of beings <coughs> group of beings bhutagraha the same group of beings same set of beings bhutva bhutva praliyate bhutva bhutva repeatedly coming into being praliyate again gets into the unmanifested so bhutva bhutva you can see that there coming into being again and again meaning thereby that this is a cyclic process that goes on again and again <coughs> but the, see this tells us about rebirth of course it tells us about continuity of life not only that life continues from just one birth to the other birth but from one day of brahma to other day of brahma or from one cycle of creation to other cycle of creation which is billions and trillions and zillions of years in duration even then also the life continues because as we said there is no such thing as death if there is no such thing as birth there is no such thing as death also if you look at the prakriti of the matter we know that there is no creation and there is no destruction as we've been saying what we call creation of a part the part is created all right but before its creation it was in the form of a lump and lump also may be said to be created before that it was in the form of earth and so on and so forth this you keep on tracing the cause every cause is also in effect every cause like the lump of clay also is in effect is produced on something else which also is produced on something else which also is produced on something else like the cloth is produced from the the yarn and yarn is produced from the cotton and thus everything is produced on something else and thus we keep on tracing how far should we go we can go in a time any length of time we can never trace the beginning in principle we cannot trace the beginning because you cannot visualize non existence understand 
you cannot visualize the idea of non-existence. Not only that, but if you accept that nothing existed at some point in time and then this world came into being, that means that something is created from nothing and that also is not acceptable. Now, I don't want to at this time go into any technicalities, but there are the opinions even in certain schools in India that uh, Swamiji mentioned in the morning also that there was nothing before the creation. But that is not acceptable because something cannot come from nothing. You can't visualize that. You, you cannot intellectually also visualize it or, or, or uh, you know, uh, conceive of that. <coughs> Something has to come from something, that has been our experience. If something can come from nothing, that's wonderful. You need not require a lump of clay to make a pot, you know, because you don't need anything to make something. Therefore, you won't require material at all. The fact that you require material shows that something is required for making anything. <coughs> and thus, matter continues, similarly also life also continues. Why should, if the matter is, all, is always continues and just transforms from one form to another, why not life also? So we say that life also continues, just transforms from one form or one embodiment to the other. <coughs> now what is a lot of this group of beings, all these creatures, which are also counted, how many are there, Swamiji? In the talk of law of karma, that your destiny is determined by the, the karma and so it is the karma that will determine what your next destiny will be. Swamiji, if you are a human being, can you also become a dog? Certainly. The idea is that if during this life if I live like a dog, then I can be born as a dog also. And if I live like whatever I did, if I live like God, I can be born as God. And whatever I, it's up to me, whatever I live like, that is what I become. And so, in becoming, there is no choice here. In the sense that, when I am born as a dog, or when I am born as anything, I have no choice. Choicelessly, I am born. The idea is that choicelessly, we seem to be being swept in this current of life. That's what Lord Krishna says, avashaha. Ah. Then the question was, alright, but Swamiji, how do you explain the explosion in population? More and more human beings are born, where do they come from? Some mosquitoes must be being born as human beings. The increase in human population means decrease someplace, you know, somewhere. How many creatures are there? You cannot count them, countless. We will not say infinite, but we will say countless. This whole lot of countless creatures, they keep on changing their embodiment also, depending upon this whole scheme of cause and effect or the law of karma. But one important thing about this life, when it is said that moksha means freedom from the cycle of birth and death, what is, what is the peculiarity of this cycle of birth and death? Second line is avashaha. Avashaha, that means helplessly. The thing is that this <coughs> helplessly, repeatedly, at the same time, helplessly, this one comes into being and goes. (coughs) 
Avashyasa, he says necessarily. In fact, you should say helplessly. <coughs> In short, the life of birth and death is characterized by helplessness. That's all it is. And this is what we call bondage. If you can be born, if you can lead a life and don't feel helpless, it is fine. But whoever is born, he feels helpless. Why is it so? Because everybody is controlled by this avidya, ignorance. Ignorance produces all kinds of desires. Desires produce all kinds of activities. Activities produce all kinds of results. And thus, it is the results of all the actions that I perform. That is what determines my destiny or the flow of my life. And therefore, just as I am helpless with reference to where I am born, I am helpless with reference to when I am going to die, and helpless with reference to life in general. Swamiji, one, on one hand you tell us that there is free will, on the other hand you are saying you are helpless. But helpless I am in a sense that I am controlled by the governing laws, is it not? I don't have the freedom to fly if I want because this body is controlled by the laws of mechanics. When we say there is an order, a physical order, a physiological order, anatomical order, I don't know, psychological order, all kinds of... What does it order mean? The order means that my physiology, my psychology, all of these have to function according to their order. And that I have not created the order, nor can I change the order, nor can I control the order. I have to like, whether I like it or not, obey the order. And thus there is a sense of helplessness, generally speaking. Avashaya. Thus, it is in fact my own, my own impulse that controls me. Very often I am controlled by my own needs. I feel helpless with reference to my own mind, as a matter of fact. Very often I am controlled by my own impulses, like anger, like greed, like jealousy, like so many such passions are there, I feel controlled by them. Even if you do not accept any force, con outside force controlling me, there's enough within myself to control me, is it not? When a desire arises in my mind, I am forced to fulfill that desire. Very rare. You know, it's not often that I'm able to brush aside the desire, then it will come again. And thus, the life of birth and death is characterized by a sense of helplessness. One is helpless with reference to one's own nature. Prakrutimyandibhutani, in the third chapter, Lord Krishna says, all the creatures necessarily follow their nature. That means that they act according to their nature. <coughs> and one does not have freedom to, to, to change that, to transgress that. In that sense, it is said that this life is helplessness. I find myself needy. I find various needs in me. And therefore, I have to depend upon something other than myself to fulfill those needs, is it not? I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, all kinds of needs are there. And I require the favor of the universe in order to fulfill my needs. In that sense also, I'm dependent. There's nothing wrong in it. We are not saying there is anything right or wrong. This is how it is. And this is what we call, one of the aspects of what we call bondage. Dependence. For my happiness, I'm dependent. I require the favor and the, the uh, conduciveness of the situation around me. Then only I can be happy. When can I be happy? 
when things around me are conducive, agreeable. If the world obliges me by being agreeable to me, I can be happy. If it does not oblige me, somebody does not respect me, somebody does not obey me, somebody does not care for me, somebody does not love me, somebody does not do this, I just feel rejected. A sense of rejection constantly goes on. Thus, when we analyze our life, we find ourselves needy people. No doubt that need arises from ignorance. There's no reason why I should find myself needy because I am the complete being. I'm Brahman. But that's not my knowledge. Because of their ignorance, I become, an in, I become a small or insignificant creature and suffer from a sense of insignificance. And there's a need to become free from that and this need makes me dependent upon the, whole, uh, the world around myself other than myself to fulfill those needs. All the time begging. Am I not begging? Mom, can I have milk? Can I have toys? Can I have a candy? Can I have a bicycle? Can I have a tricycle? Can I have a scooter? Can I have a car? Can I have this? That different people may say it in different I want this. You might, but ultimately still. You beg in different ways, but ultimately you are dependent. There's nothing wrong in that. This is how it is. That the life of birth and death is characterized by helplessness, dependence, and that is what we call bondage. If you can live without helplessness, without dependence, with freedom, fine. Nothing wrong. There is no complaint against life. It's not that we are opposed. Vedanta has any problem with birth and death. But Vedanta addresses what we call the bondage. And one way of understanding the bondage is a sense of dependence, helplessness. Ratriyagamevashaprata. <clears throat> and a lot of discussions are there. But we have to accept the continuity of life. We have to accept the past birth. We have to accept the next birth. Because we just cannot explain the phenomenon without any cause. There is nothing in the universe that happens without a cause. The scientists tell us that whatever happens has a cause. And birth also is a phenomenon. It must also have a cause. And the cause must also be before the effect. Because all cause also is always, cause is always in the past. And therefore, some past thing must be there which causes a birth. And otherwise, if I am born for no rhyme and reason, then a lot of complaint will be there against God. Why am I made like this? And why is someone else made like that? That means that I have to suffer in my life for no fault of mine and somebody seems to be really enjoying for no reason at all. Akruta abhyagama. I am stuck with all kinds of pain and problem for, for no fault of mine. Kruta vipranashaha. At the same time, even though I live a virtuous life throughout my life, and if I die, if I, then that's the end of my life, that means that all that I did in life goes to waste. Or some fellow who has led a, led a miserable life or, or a dharmic life gets away because this is the end of it. You cannot accept the end of life. This, there has to be continuity. Otherwise, you cannot explain life. You cannot expect diversity. You cannot explain order at all. There will be no order in life. If there is just all of a sudden birth, even if the universe is born from Big Bang and there was nothing before Big Bang, there has to be, in a potential form. Because why should one Big Bang occur? There must be some reason. 
and therefore this verse also tells us how there is a continuity of existence not from only one birth to another birth but from one cycle to another cycle and the only way to become free from that thus each one is being swept in the current of life helplessly being swept like those like these little worms being swept in the current of water in a river the only way to become free from that of course is is by knowledge by you know that is called moksha and the reason why this is described is to create in us a value for moksha so how long do you want to continue with this some people some when swami says you know this fellow comes and says swami have no problem so that is a problem that you don't recognize that there is a problem and thus our attention is brought here to this pattern of life and recognize how helpless what helplessness there is dependence is there misery is there and when we look at that the reality don't make yourself believe that this is so discover this and that will create what we call vairagya or a dispassion from this life of limitation or a life of constant struggle and seeking so this is also being said this is being said for many reasons to show the continuity of life that alone the law of karma is there the law of cause and effect is there the order is there and also to create vairagya dispassion from this kind of existence to become free from this <coughs> how do i become free <coughs> so 20th verse tells us that parastasmatu bhavo anyah parastasmatu bhavo anyah avyakto vyaktat sanatanah avyakto vyaktat sanatanah यु भूतेषु यु भूतेषु नश्यत्सु न विनश्यते नश्यत्सु न विनश्यते लॉर्ड कृष्ण सिस डोंट वरी सो व्हाट एवर वी एक्सपीरियंस इज ऑल पेरिशेबल ऑल चेंजिंग व्हाट एवर ऑल वी एक्सपीरियंस इज सब्जेक्ट टू चेंज बिकॉज़ एवरीथिंग दैट वी परसीव एवरीथिंग दैट वी एक्सपीरियंस इज क्रिएटेड इन टाइम and in as much as it is going to perish in time it is constantly changing this our life or all our experience or whatever we experience is all characterized by a constant change everything is perishable is that all sarvam kshanikam kshanikam sarvam dukham dukham e sarvam kshanikam kshanikam everything is momentary momentary perishable that is true whatever we perceive is all momentary all perishable from that the baudhas came to the conclusion that even the, the self also is momentary changing every moment but change is not the ultimate reality of life or birth and death are not the ultimate reality of life so lord krishna says parah tasmat tu bhavah anyah tasmat avyaktah avyaktat sanatanah see you read the the word meaning where what we call the uh, the the prose order is given one thing that is done here in giving the meaning is that the prose order 
of this uh, Anvaya is also given and then word meaning is given. There are two ways of doing it. Either you retain the order of the words and give the meanings or you rearrange those words in the prose order and then give. So, paraha tasmatu tasmat avyatat as compared to this. So now understand that this life is characterized by what we call cause and effect. That's what this. There are different ways of looking at life. One way of looking at it is, this life is characterized by this cause and effect. That everything is a cause and effect. Everything is effect of something, at the same time cause of something else. Every cause, every effect is a cause, every cause is an effect. Isn't that interesting? That is why this process can never stop. There is no such, you know, every effect also is a cause. For example, we have a seed with us, which is what we call the cause. From that is born a sprout, which is called the effect. So sprout is the effect with reference to a seed, but the sprout itself becomes a cause for that plant. And the plant is an effect with reference to a sprout, becomes cause with reference to a tree. And then there are flowers are born which are the effect which become cause with reference to the fruit. And fruit is the effect with reference to flower become cause with reference to a seed. A seed is an effect with reference to fruit, a cause with reference to another tree. So seed is an effect also as well as cause also. If you understand what I am saying here, you will find that this process is an unending process. If there is merely an effect which doesn't produce another effect, then fine, that is where the whole process will come to an end. But everything that is an effect also is a cause. Like, let's take this, this body. This body also is an effect of the product of the past actions, let us say. This body is born as a result of the actions performed in the past. So this is the effect. Again it becomes a cause for new actions. In that sense it is a cause. And thus, that is why otherwise the body was a product only and does not cause any, does not initiate any other effect, then fine, that this will come to an end automatically will be liberated. But that is not so because every effect also becomes a cause. Thus this chain continues. And that is how uh, the whole life is characterized by what we call cause and effect. Cause is called avyakta unmanifest. Effect is called vyakta manifest. Avyakta, vyakta. Unmanifest to manifest. That's all. Unmanifest to manifest, and to manifest, manifest, this is how it goes on. Is this all that there is? Is this all that there is in life? Lord Krishna says no. Beyond all of this, superior to all of this, distinct from all of this, there is yet another cause, another unmanifest, another reality, which is not subject to this cause and effect. The idea is that this whole phenomenon that we call the world, which is nothing but a whole chain of cause and effect, all of these phenomena, the play of the cause and effect is taking place on a platform which itself is changeless or devoid of this effect of cause and effect. <coughs> there is something that is not subject to cause and effect and it is that platform upon which this whole drama of cause and effect takes place. The cause and effect drama takes place at the level of what we call prakruti or the matter. 
But all this, the matter keeps on undergoing change constantly. And from one state to the other, from that state to the other, thus the constantly changes take place. But all these changes can take place in the matter only when it is presided over by what we call the spirit. Presided over by whatever you call it, consciousness. Presided over by what we call the truth or the absolute. Thus there is something that is relative. So everything that we see in the creation is relative. Relative in the sense that we say that the part is relative. Inasmuch as the part depends upon something else for its being there, namely clay. Clay depends upon something else and thus everything is dependent upon something else. But there is something which is totally independent. That is, there is another bhavaha, there is another existence, another truth, <coughs> which is sanatanaha, which is eternal which means not limited in time or not affected by this cause and effect chain. <coughs> and what is that? Second line says, Yasa sarvesha bhuteshu nasyat vinasyadi. So that which is not destroyed even when all beings are destroyed. <coughs> so, nasyat bhuteshu, all the beings whether sentient or insentient, everything is characterized by constant change and everything is perishable. But when all this drama of change is taking place, there is something that does not change at all. Navinashadi. So this is, Lord Krishna says that, that is what we have to contact or that is what we have to know. As long as I remain merely in the realm of this change, of cause and effect, of doing something, experiencing result, doing something, experiencing another result, that's how our life also is. For example, some desire comes in my mind. Uh, I don't know. I want a house, you know. I don't know what to think of. I want a house. Let's say desire came. And that desire then motivates me and prompts me to perform various actions as well, which the house is built. If it stops there, then it is fine, but it doesn't. moment I have the house, that is called the effect. It becomes a cause of another desire. Oh, I think we should have a fencing around. I think we should have a, a, a carpet here. I think we should have the furniture here. I think we should have uh, a, a sunroom here. I think we should have some trees in the backyard. I think we should have this. Now it gives us a variety of desires. All right, you fulfill those desires. And then yet, is that the end of it? No. Yet other desires will be created. Uh, no sooner things are installed than I think uh, somebody else says, no, this doesn't look this way here. Why don't you put it this way? And why don't you rearrange it this way? And then why don't you add something here? Why don't you give up, take away something from there? And then house also creates, now I must have insurance, now I must have security, you know, because the thing is, if you didn't, as long as you didn't have the house, there was no problem. Once you have the house, then somebody should take care of the house also. Formerly I had no problem at all, I could go to the classes whenever I wanted, but now I must make sure that there must be somebody to take care of the house. Some of you have a neighbor, sir, very good. Suppose they have gone out. If I didn't, as long as I didn't have children, it was fine. Now the children are there, now we require somebody to take care of them. That's good, but what I'm saying is, Every, every fulfillment, every desire always requires 
creates new desire. This is how things are. There's nothing right or wrong about it. This is what it is. Is there ever an end to this? That means if I simply keep on living a life that as desires arise in my mind, I keep on fulfilling them, would there ever be an end to that? There can be no end at all. Because what happens is, every accomplishment in life, I feel myself incomplete in some way that I am I think it will be fine if I just had a new car, that will be fine, everything will be perfect, that's all. Moment I get that car and I enjoy it, that's all that, then it reveals some imperfection. Oh, I think that, you know, we should have a, a it's, it would have been a good idea to have a CD in this car, you know, and this is not quite adequate. Oh, now I find that, you know, the, formerly the garage was filled with all kinds of stuff, now I must clear it out, and there will be required another room, I guess, you know, to, to uh, store this stuff here. <coughs> And now that the car has come, that my driveway also must be clear and you must shovel your all kinds of stuff, you know. And everything brings a lot of stuff in its way. So Lord Krishna says that thus, if you merely remain in this relative life, you'll always be relative, always be incomplete, going from one kind of incompleteness to another kind of incompleteness. Or as I say, you know, Formerly I was uncomfortably miserable and now I am comfortably miserable. But that sense of miserableness doesn't go. And this is what we call bondage. There seems to be no way out regardless of what you do. And somebody gets fed up and gives up everything, so what? As Swamiji says, this fellow, some people just give up things. Some people get so inspired by some of these, because sometimes you hear the lectures, and I don't know whatever one understands, but somehow the understanding is that all of this is mithya, you know. Give up everything. People, a person becomes a beggar. You know, you give up everything. Doesn't mean that you become free. So neither accumulating seems to be the solution, nor giving up seems to be a solution, neither going from east to west seems to be a solution. From India you come to the United States, wonderful. But then, Swami, this is very good, but after all, you know, our children, I think that I want to go back before my child grows beyond age of five, because it's so difficult here. You go to India, then the education system there is like that, and the one thing is good here, and the other thing is not good. One thing is good there, something else is, and just you, you know, so from here to there, there to there, this shift keeps on going. There is no such thing as perfect. Nothing is perfect. Nothing seems to be complete. Everything seems to have some gain, but every gain seems to be accompanied with some loss, some price. We have to pay the price for every gain. Nothing comes free. And so, Lord Krishna says, this is how the life is. And all of this is being said in order to be, create a dispassion. Dispassion in the sense that, that I, I can understand that there is no way that this whole struggle is going to come to an end if I just continue like this. But this is not all about life. All the change is possible only when the change is supported by that which does not change. The train can run only when there are tracks which do not run, which are standstill. And thus everything is perishable, everything is changing. That shows that there must be something that does not change and because of which all the changes are possible. Even when this, the whole big wheel rotates, that middle point, that axis, it doesn't rotate. It is, you know, it remains the same and it becomes a very support for all the movement.
Similarly also Lord Krishna says that there is something, there is a truth or there is a reality which sustains this whole drama of change. Yasta Sarveshu Bhuteshu, when constantly the process of change and death and birth and all this is taking place like crazy. Navinashade, that which the self does not change, does not perish, nor is born. So there is that bhavaha, there is that truth, there is that reality which is free from all changes, all birth and death, and therefore free from a sense of helplessness, free from all dependence. <clears throat> and that, that is why this world is made like this. Sometimes we feel what kind of a scheme it is, you know, this, everything seems to be so difficult or frustrating, but that's why it is done, so that we don't get stuck in this. And so that we do not get stuck, then thus we keep on gaining experiences in life and keep on getting some strokes also. By stroke I don't mean that stroke, I mean uh, some, you know, uh, you get some punches in the life, some shocks in life, whatever. There is also the purpose, so that we, we, we think about life, where are we going, what is happening, and is there something, you know, is there some, something other, is there something permanent, is there a way out of this, and to make us think alone, there's a scheme of things that has been so designed, but that, there is this bhavaha, so distinct from the unmanifested, another unmanifested, words are such that are very confusing, but Brahman, what we are talking about is, when all these changes take place, there is this Brahman, there is this God, which does not change, which ever remains the same. And that is in fact your own self, you know, ever changeless. <coughs> now Lord Krishna quotes, we find even in Bhagavad Gita, who is teaching this? None other than Lord Krishna himself, who is God. And still, every so often, Lord Krishna supports his teaching by quotation or references to Upanishads, to scriptures. And that is what is said here in the verse 21. Avyakto kshara ityuktaha Avyakto kshara ityuktaha Tamahuf paramam gatim Tamahuf paramam gatim this bhava, this truth, Lord Krishna says, that we are talking about, which in the twentieth verse was also referred to avyakta, then manifest. <coughs> avyakta aksharaha ityuktaha. Here Arjuna, the same truth, same that is called avyakta or unmanifest here, is called aksharaha, immutable elsewhere. <coughs> like Munduko Upanishad also uses the word aksharaha, imperishable or immutable. Yena aksharam purusham ved satyam provachitam tattvato brahma vidyam aksharam. So for Brahma, different words are also used, or for God, one of the words used for God or Brahman is Akshara, as it was done right here. If you remember the very first, uh, how Lord Krishna started his discourse in this chapter, Aksharam Brahma Paramam, 
Arjuna, Brahma is paramam, limitless. Aksharam, immutable. So, here Arjuna, this truth alone is called aksharam, immutable. <coughs> Ityuktaha, tamahu paramam gatim. And all right, it is immutable, it is imperishable, it is limitless. So what do I have to do with that? Or what relevance akshara or immutable, imperishable or limitless has in my life? Tamahuhu paramam gatim. They say that is the highest end. So this immutable or Brahman is the paramam gatim, the highest end or the highest goal in our life. What do you mean by highest? Second line says, Yam prapyana nivartande taddhama paramamama. Gaining which they do not return. That is called highest. Gaining which they do not return. Gaining which nothing remains to be gained. Yallabha naparolabha. Beyond which gain, there is no gain. Gaining which nothing remains to be gained. Knowing which nothing remains to be known. Attaining which nothing remains to be attained. And that is, that comes from Kathopanishad. This expression, Paramam Gatim or Sakashtha Saparagatihi in Kathopanishad. So Lord Krishna traces there a whole cycle of subtlety and an inquiry. And ultimately says that uh, higher, you know, superior to sense organs or sense objects is our mind. Superior to the mind is our intellect. Superior to individual intellect is the total intellect. Superior to total intellect is the total cause, the, the primordial matter or the objector or the maya. And superior to maya, superior to the primordial cause or prakriti also is purushaha. It's called purushaha. Purusha because purish, next verse itself will use the word purushaha. So that is the self, that is the consciousness or that is the truth. And that is called paramangatim. That is called the ultimate goal or ultimate abode. Why is it so? Because that is what each one of us is constantly seeking. And this also we discussed earlier. As to when we really analyze what is it that I am seeking. Number one, that I am seeking something in life. That life is a process of... Life is nothing but a process of seeking. And that there is something that I am seeking. And as you said earlier, what is it that I am seeking? I am seeking to be happy. I am seeking freedom. I am seeking happiness. What kind of freedom? What kind of happiness? The happiness that lasts forever. The happiness that never goes away. The happiness that is permanent. So that, you know, everlasting or permanent happiness I am seeking. Alright, permanent or everlasting happiness is seeking. But are you happy if you do not know that you are happy? He says, no, no. I want to be happy, at the same time, I want to know that I am happy. The reason why we are saying is because in the state of deep sleep, supposedly I am happy. That's what they tell me. In the state of deep sleep, you are enjoying the bliss. You are enjoying the happiness of the self, bliss of the self, happiness of the self. But what use is it because I do not know? And therefore, not only do I want to be happy, but I want to be awarefully happy. So I want ananda. What kind of ananda? That is not perishable, that which does not decline or that does not come to an end in time. 
That means I want ānanda, which is sat. Sat means ever-existing. That sudden ānanda is there in the deep sleep state, it is not enough. In deep sleep state also there is no awareness of time and ānanda is there. So even the ānanda of the deep sleep state is not limited by time, but one thing is lacking there that I am not aware of it. And therefore, I want to be awareful. Chit. Ānanda I want, everlasting ānanda that is called sat, and ānanda about which I am conscious that is called chit, and therefore, if we look into what is it that we are desiring, what is it that we are seeking in the life, it will be found that what we are seeking is Sat Chit Ananda. That's what we are seeking. <coughs> and the reason why we find ourselves never satisfied with anything regardless of what we have is because we cannot be satisfied until that Sat Chit Ananda is attained. What price do I have to pay for that? If every little thing in life requires price to be paid, then what price should I have to pay for the limitless? The only price I have to pay is the price of ignorance. That means just knowing that what there is, is in fact Satchidananda. Not only to say that I am Satchidananda, but whatever there is is Satchidananda. Not only that I am Brahman, but whatever there is is Brahman. And it is this knowledge. That's called the knowledge of what, what is. What is is only one thing, asti, bhati, priyam, or sat, chit, ananda, or brahman, or god, whatever is, is god. It is this discovery will bring to conclusion the search on my part of sat, chit, ananda. If I am sat, chit, ananda, and everything else is miserable, then also I am not happy. Like the fellows who are smoking, you know, if you go in there, if you stand there, and if you are not smoking, they are uncomfortable. So they will offer you also a beady or a cigarette or something, you know. So, no, no, no. Then they don't like it. Then they will push you out somehow. If they are playing car, like in trains, you know, in India this happens, people are playing cars. You go and sit there, so don't look in there, you play if you want, you know, otherwise, don't interfere in that. Similarly, if you find that you are happy, let us say, and the world around you is miserable, I don't think you will be comfortable. Because you feel a sense of separation, isolation. You will really feel happy and, and con when you find that everything around you also is fine. Then you feel fine. Not only am I Brahman, whatever there is, is Brahman. That is called Paramam Gatim. This is called this discovery. Attainment is discovery. What is to be Because that alone is there and therefore attainment here only amounts to discovering this fact. Tamahuf Paramam Gatim. In Kathopanishad, this is said to be Paramam Gatim. The ultimate goal, the highest goal. Yam Prapyana Nivartante. Attaining which one does not return. Return where? Return to a life of smallness, life of helplessness, life of limitation, life of struggle or seeking. That is also There is also in Kathopani Sarasabhin the ultimate abode of Vishnu, the all-pervasive. 
So Lord Krishna says, that is my paramam dhama, that is my supreme abode. <coughs> oh, when they say supreme abode of the Lord, then imagine it must be a place. See the words here, mama means mine, dhama means abode. Paramam dhama, supreme abode, dhama, that is my supreme abode. So Lord also is a supreme abode. If Lord is a supreme abode, that means that he is in a certain abode. That's how these imagination of Vaikuntha or some loka comes in. That that is the supreme abode of the Lord. Then somebody says, no, no, the Lord is even superior abode, you know. And so there is a, there are different sects. Somebody says, we say that Vasudeva is the ultimate God. He says, no, no, Vasudeva is just an ordinary officer in our scheme of things. Our highest God is, somebody says, no, but he is just a lower officer, our God is there. And so somebody says, Vaikuntha is a boy, says, no, no, Kailasa is even bigger than somebody says, yet, if this abode of God was really a place, that means that then God would be only confined to that place, then he cannot be here. And so, even though, the, in the language you say, my abode, what it means is, I am the abode. It's not my abode, I am the abode. Abode is I. Who is saying all this? Lord Krishna. Who is Lord Krishna? Nothing but Param Brahma, nothing but the Self, nothing but the truth of everything. But what do you mean by truth? There is, what is false? There is no false thing really. The ultimate there is no mithya also. Everything that, what there is is truth alone. Until I recognize the truth, we say that this is all Swamiji, on one hand you say that I am not the body, and then you say that everything is Brahman. We say I am not the body until you recognize that body also is Brahman. And so, all there is is only Brahman. All there is is that alone. And so there is no such thing as an abode. So I am everything. But when it is said it is my abode, which means it is my nature, that I am limitless and that is my nature. And knowing me as your own self, nothing remains to be known, nothing remains to be achieved. You become totally free from every sense of helplessness or dependence or seeking. Thus you gain, you will gain the ultimate freedom that you are seeking. But how do we do that? How do we go about doing this? Alright, we have to gain this knowledge. How do I gain this knowledge? And the next verse tells us that. Again, Lord Krishna describes himself or describes the truth, describes our own self also. It's called Purushaha. Purushaha Purushaha. The word Purusha is explained. One meaning of the word Purusha is Purnatvat Purushaha. The one who is a complete being is called Purusha. Or Purushaha Purushaha. One who dwells in the city of the body is called Purusha. The self. So body can be said to be the dwelling place of the self. He is called Purusha. One who dwells as a self of everyone. Self of everything is called Purusha. 
and one who is complete in himself. Saha Paraf Partha. Hey Partha. Hey Arjuna, that Purusha, that self or that God is Paraha. He is limitless. And the second line also explains Yasyantasthani Bhutani Yena Sarvamidam Tatam. Who is he? Who is Lord? In whom all the beings have their being. So one that is the cause of everything. Yasyantasthani Bhutani. So in whom the whole universe has abides. So one who gives the, one who is the dwelling place for the whole universe. So one in whom the whole universe dwells. One in whom the whole universe remains. He is the Yasya Antasthani Bhutani. One who contains the entire universe. Yena Saramidam Tatam. And one by whom this whole universe is pervaded. <coughs> like this part is pervaded by clay. As we know the clay is the Upadana Karana, the material cause. How the material cause pervades the effect. The whole universe is also effect. It is also creation. And therefore, it is also pervaded by its material cause. So what is that material? Now you know very well. What is the material from which the whole universe is made? What is the material from which the whole universe is made? God is the material from which the whole universe is What's the nature of God? Satchit Ananda, knowledge. You see, uh, for this pot to be made from clay, you know when can it happen? Before the creation of pot, the clay was in the form of a lump. And that underwent a change of transformation in order to become pot, isn't it? If the clay remains as a lump, can it become pot? A change or a transformation should take place in the matter, in the material cause, for the product or effect to be created. Now you say that God is the material cause of the universe. What does it mean? That means that God underwent a change, transformation, mutilation to become the creation, isn't it? If clay underwent a mutilation, or transformation to become the part, that is how the, the, the characteristic of material cause is that it doesn't remain in its original state. For the yarn to become the cotton, the yarn must get organized, you know. That means that the material cause must undergo a change or transformation to become the effect. If you say that God is a material cause of the universe, what does it mean? It means that God underwent a change, a transformation. So no more do we have the lump of clay, what we have is a part. Similarly, no more we have God, what we have is a universe, isn't it? If Satchidananda or God or Brahman is a material cause, then what we know about the material cause is that when the material cause gets converted into effect, the cause is no more in its original state, it obtains now in a new state. Similarly also, if God is the material cause, then he now obtains as his universe or creation, that means that there is no more God in his original state of limitlessness. It has become, he has now become a creation, which is limited in time and place and everywhere, isn't it? 
you are too sleepy, I guess, to answer this question, perhaps, even to think about it. So that's what happens with material cause. <laughs> All right, we'll tell you another kind of a creation. Let us see whether we have it here. Yeah, we'll tell you another kind of a creation. You know, this is also known, right? This is a... There can be a creation here. This rope can be taken to be a snake. You follow? Now, let us say the snake is created or the snake is projected where there is rope. Please tell me what is the cause of the snake? What is the material cause of the snake? From where is the snake created? How long is the snake? As long as the rope is. What is the curvature of the snake? The curvature of the rope. Where is the location of the snake? Where the location of rope is. And therefore, snake is created from what? What is the material cause for the snake? If the rope is the material cause of the snake, did the rope have to change into a snake in order to become snake? So then what happened here? You say the rope is the material cause of the snake, but in order to create the snake, did the rope have to undergo any change or become snake? No. So what kind of a creation is this? The snake, what kind of a creation is snake? It is a projection. Call it superimposition, projection, misapprehension, adhyasa, dhyaropa. What is it? A projection. So there is a, a peculiar kind of creation where the material cause need not undergo a change or transformation in order to, to bring about a creation. If God, we have a told here, yes, sarveshu bhuteshu nasyatsuna vinasyadi. God is that which does not undergo change even when all the changes take place in the being, that means it's changeless. For the changeless to become the material cause of the universe, what kind of a creation it should be? That creation should be not like the creation of the, the part from the clay, but more like the creation of a snake from the rope. And where is the rope? Where the snake is. Can we say that the rope pervades the snake? Can we say that? The rope pervades the snake, isn't it? Because in every grain of the snake, there is a rope. In that sense, God pervades the creation. Yena saramidam tatam, one who is the material cause which, which pervades in the effect. Similarly also here, asti bhati priyam or satchit ananda, that is God, that is Brahman. And that is the cause upon which, so in the whole universe is what? A projection you can say. In that sense, of course the projection cannot remain without the the, subs the rope is called the substratum. The snake is called the projection. 
the projection cannot remain without the substratum. But this itself shows that the universe is a projection rather than a real creation, a real transformation. And thus he is the cause which contains all the effect. At the same time, he is the cause that does not undergo a change in order to appear as an effect. So we can say that the rope appears as a snake. Can we say that? Similarly also you can say that God appears as a universe. And therefore, all we have to do is to gaze properly at the snake to discover the rope. That's all you have to do. So you know, gaze properly at the world. Not stare or something. Gaze meaning that inquire into the, the reality of what am I looking at. It will turn out to be what? Asti Bhati Priyam. We'll find that that alone comes in all the different forms, including of course myself. Yasyantasthani Bhutani, that which encompasses all the beings, Yenasaramidam Tatam, that by whom everything is pervaded, he is Purushaha. He is the complete one. He is the one that is the self of all. Oh Lord, how do I gain him? First line says, Bhaktyalabhyaspananya is gained by devotion, ananyaya. Lord Krishna uses the word ananya in many places. Here itself it was used. Uh, ananya cheta satadam yomam smartinityasaha. So Lord Krishna says, what is the means of attainment of this Lord? Ananya bhakti. See, the word bhakti comes. By love, by devotion. What is bhakti? Bhakti means nothing but love. Bhakti doesn't mean an action. Bhakti means love. And love also we have in all measure because nobody is devoid of love. Love happens to be the nature of the self. Except that my love automatically is expressed where to that which I look upon as important in my life. Who do I love? That or those who are important. It's only a matter of discovering that really what is most important to me is this, that the Satchit Ananda is the most important thing. That everything is important not because of itself or because it is a vehicle of the Satchit Ananda. Therefore anything is important. If a house is important to me, if a vehicle is important to me, if a person is important to me, if anything is important to me, is only because they reflect that Satchit Ananda. Because they promise to be the means of Satchit Ananda. Moment they cease to be that, it no more remains important. My love no more remains that. And thus I love constantly. Who do I love? Satchit Ananda. Not recognizing who I love, I seem to love all kinds of things in the world. My love is scattered away. Ananya, Bhaktya means love which does not recognize anything other than God. That's all. So here Lord Krishna presents bhakti as the means of attainment. But that love comes only as a result of knowledge. The knowledge comes as a result of love and love comes as a result of knowledge. Is it not so? Is it not your experience? That you fall in, you find somebody rather lovable, immediately you want to know who is that person, where does he come from, where does he go? The desire for knowledge comes from that. And more you know the glory of the hopefully that person is worth it, let us say. 
suppose that person is worthy then more you know about that person more you know about his greatness you know the love more and more love gets involved and more you know more love and that love again prompts you to know more and that knowledge again intensifies your love which makes you more devoted so don't separate these things knowledge and love don't separate them they must always go together when can i pursue knowledge when can i commit myself to the pursuit of knowledge only when i have value for it and so bhakti deva shankarajara says here gnana lakshana bhakti bhakti is the devotion that is characterized by knowledge not just blind devotion the blind devotion will be will also vanish when something undesirable comes to be known this is a devotion of the love for god that comes by his knowledge by knowing his greatness knowing his glory and that love that comes and so it is that which becomes the means of attainment of him <coughs> so bhakti gnana lakshana bhakti means bhakti or the devotion that is characterized by knowledge or the knowledge that is characterized by devotion <coughs> and that is the means of knowing and therefore you knowing and attaining are one what i want to be is what i want to know what i want to know is what i want to be and therefore attainment and knowledge is one because the only thing that separates me is only ignorance i do not know who i am and i realize that i am not what i i thought myself to be then who am i i am i am myself a whole being i am that limitless and so here knowing and attainment is one alone and so this purusha this person the self can be attained by knowledge knowledge that is characterized by bhakti or devotion <coughs> okay om purnamada purnamidam purna purnamudachyate purnasya purnamadaya purnamevavashishyate